0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Charles. Like Father, like Son. So we're going to be looking here at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. And might I start by saying this morning as we get going that, you know, it is a privilege to be a father. You know, being a father is so much more than simply participating in the creation of new life. Being a father is about cultivating that life, caring for that life, and being willing to go to war against anything that would threaten that life. Being a father is knowing that there really isn't anything better than the little smiles, the little hugs, the I love you's that you get in return. And you know, that's good, because as someone once said, Father's Day is just like Mother's Day. You just don't spend as much. (laughs) But it's an incredible privilege to be a father. It's an incredible privilege to be a father because of the impact of our position. Whether we like it or not, they often look like us and act like us. But there is... A privilege of being a father that I think sometimes we don't think of. And that is the nature of our position allows us to share a title with our heavenly father. To think of that, that, that I as an earthly father share an aspect of a title that God has chosen to use to reveal himself to us as a father. Fathers, we are privileged to reflect God in an incredibly unique way and in an incredibly direct way to our children. In fact, I think it's good for us as dads to recognize that some of our children's perspective on their heavenly father will be shaped by their experience with their earthly father. And so, dads, it's important that we be born of God. But it's also important that we be like God. Now, might I pause before I go any further here and remind us all that whether you are a father or not, that if you are a Christian, that you also bear the name of Christ. And so it's important for all of us, whether we are men or women, fathers or mothers, young or old, (laughs) single or married, it's important for all of us who name the name of Christ to also reflect an accurate image of Christ Amen. to this world. It's not just a dad thing or a man thing. It's an everyone who is a child of God thing. We are called to be like God and reflect His person in this world in which we live. And so I want to look at how Jesus kind of uh, delineates and describes some of this here at the end of Matthew chapter 5 and a sermon for Father's Day that we have entitled, Like father, like son. Look at me at verse 43 and 44. I want you to read these verses in unison together with me. Ready? Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I want you to note first this morning that Jesus begins to deal with a distorted morality. A distorted morality. In other words, we have a warning from Jesus that we should be careful what and who we allow to shape our lives. He said, you've heard it said this way, but I'm telling you this way. You know, there's a lot of things that affect how we live our lives. What we see affects how we live our lives. What we hear affects how we live our lives. Our interactions with others affects how we live our lives. And you know what happens is this funny little thing that those things that are in our lives, they become influences in our lives. And influences in our lives begin to form the ideology or philosophy by which we live our lives. And then a funny thing happens, the principles that we have shape our practice. Or we might put it this way, that our beliefs form and direct our behavior. And so we have to be careful. Be careful what and who we allow to influence and shape our lives. Because here's what you're going to find if you spend a whole lot of time in the world. There's a whole lot out there that sounds good. But it isn't necessarily good. And it sure isn't godly. You know, Paul warns us over in Colossians chapter 2 that we be careful. He says, beware. Uh, Take heed, eyes wide open, lest any man spoil you through what? Through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments or the base teachings of the world, and not after Christ. You see, there's a lot of things out there in the world that, that sound good. You think, boy, that might work good. But you know, from a spiritual level, the ends don't justify the means. And just because pragmatically it might work, doesn't, just because it might work good, doesn't mean it is good. You know, there's a lot of things out there that claim to be profitable. You know what? If you do this, it'll end good. You'll end ahead. You'll get ahead. You'll rise in life. But just because it ends good, doesn't mean it is good. and doesn't mean it is godly. Boy, here's one for our world today. We are running headlong after pleasure. Whatever it is, it needs to feel good. <laughs> needs to feel good, feel good, feel good. But here's the thing. Just because it feels good in the moment doesn't mean it is good. And it sure doesn't mean it's godly. So there's a lot of philosophies out there that will want to influence the way we think and therefore want to influence the way we live. And, and not just common philosophies, but, but cultural philosophies. And I see believers get swept up in this stuff all the time. Let me give you one. It's coming. So I'm in the middle a little bit this morning. Amen. <clears throat> There's a lot of things out there that might make you a good Republican. But it doesn't mean you're a good Christian. There is no political party that is the physical manifestation of the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are citizens of heaven, first and foremost. We get all swept up in all these different things. And I'm all for take your, take your beliefs, take the Bible to the ballot box. We ought to be involved. We ought to be engaged. But here's what we ought to do. We ought to be careful who and what we allow to influence our hearts and lives. Because just because it works good, ends good, feels good, sounds good, doesn't mean it is good. And it sure doesn't mean that therefore it is godly. we've got to be careful who we listen to. Jesus here points out religious leaders. Maybe we ought to even or especially be careful about who we listen to in that category. Because you know it's easy to find ways to justify whatever you want to do or say. Proverbs 21 and verse number 2 reminds us this, that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But it doesn't mean it is right. Right? Because at the end of the day, who has the final say? The Lord pondereth the hearts. And, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I think we have to realize that we want to be like our Heavenly Father. And that means we've got to be careful how we live our lives, who and what we allow to influence our lives. And general acceptance of lifestyles or philosophies or practices, general acceptance by others, does not equal acceptance by God. And I'm going to tell you, it's easy to get bent out of shape. It's easy to get distorted on some of these things. You read Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has already gone through bad teaching and bad philosophy about anger, about lust. Uh, about marriage, uh, about uh, uh, retaliation, about the truth. And Jesus is saying, you know, you've heard this, but this isn't actually right or good. You need this. And you've heard this, but you need this. And it is so easy to get bent out of shape and distorted. But I love the example that Jesus gives here at the end of the chapter. He said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy enemy, or thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. He said, But I say unto you, what's those next three words? Love Love your your enemy. A striking example, the example of love and hatred. You know what? There's a lot of hostility in this world, is there not? And by the way, There will always be competing factors in this world because light and darkness will never get along. Because right and wrong will never get along. Because so long as there is power to be had, men will never get along. So long as there is money to be made, men will never get along. So long as there are agendas to push, people will push them. And we can't. We can't negate or undo the fact that that hostility exists and conflict exists because I'm not going to make peace with what is wrong. So we can't negate that. But here's the problem. Many people will tell you that because hostility exists, well, that justifies hatred. You know, the religious leaders did this. This is what Jesus was referencing here. Uh, They would go back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy where the law said, love your neighbor. And so the religious leaders would say, well, hmm, who is my neighbor? Well, my neighbor is the guy that's just like me. He's my neighbor. So therefore, if this is the scope of my neighbor, the guy that's just like me, that means everybody else can be my enemy. And if I only have to love him, that means I can hate everybody else. And so that's what what they would teach. Love your neighbor. Your neighbor is the guy just like you, but hate your enemy. And Jesus says, you've heard it. You've even heard it from people in authority, but that doesn't make it good, and that doesn't make it godly. In fact, oh, and by the way, before we move on, by the way, people are still doing that today. You know what you're going to hear probably in every election to the end of time? That if the other guy or woman gets in, that the country's gone forever. And so what do we need to do? Boy, we need to, we need to fight and hate with everything we are because there's so much on the line. I, I hear preachers say that, so-called preachers. I'm not going to give them the title. I'm not going to give them the credit. I've heard men stand behind pulpits, open God's word, and, and teach their people to hate people. What a shame. It's still being done today, by the way, in many areas of life. But when I actually look at the Bible and I actually look at the example of Christ, what do I find? I find that hostility doesn't exist. Yes. But does hostility justify hatred? No. And always in Scripture, hatred is not a people problem. It is a personal problem. When I look at how God tells us to deal with hatred and animosity, it's not about everybody else. It's about what's going on in here. In fact, over in Ephesians, we see God deal with this pretty directly in Ephesians uh, chapter excuse me, Ephesians chapter number four, beginning in verse number 30, where he says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. he says, what? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Notice that when God is dealing with your anger, hatred, hostility, and bitterness, he, he doesn't tell you to deal with the other person. He tells you to deal with yourself. Because this nonsense is not a people problem, it is a personal problem. Hatred is a personal problem. Many years ago, C.S. Lewis, he's a Christian, a famous Christian author, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters is a series of letters that, uh, uh, that uh, a, a, a seasoned demon wrote to his, I believe, nephew. His nephew demon in training as his nephew demon was seeking to deceive his person. And this was one of the letters that the seasoned demon wrote to the newbie demon. He, he said this, make sure the patient, that's how he referred to the person, make sure the patient remains completely fixed on politics. Arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and things that the patient can control. Hmm. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst and frustration and general disdain towards the rest of humanity in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure the patient continues to believe the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing there is a problem within himself. You know, we live with a distorted morality all around us. But men... And women, we have to realize that you are responsible for your heart. I can't control the world, but I can control my heart. And I want you to know the Bible never says that we should hate our enemy. Rather, the Bible says quite the opposite. In verse 44, Jesus said, But I say unto you, love your enemy. And what Jesus is teaching here is that if you and I are going to be like God, if we are going to be a reflection of our Father to this world, what we need is not a clearly defined monster to fight. By the way, we love a clearly defined monster. You know, when I coach basketball, I love a clearly defined monster. They are the enemy. When I go to a buffet, I love a clearly defined monster. They make nothing off of us. Amen and amen. We love a clearly defined monster. But what Jesus is teaching is that what we need is not a clearly defined monster to fight, but we need a clearly defined model to follow. And if you and I as fathers, if we as Christians are going to reflect God, hear me, we better make sure we're following God. So number one, we see a distorted morality, but I love how Jesus directs this here because He doesn't leave us with a distorted reality. He gives us a divine model to follow. See, we don't have to figure it out on our own. We have a model to follow. Look with me at verse 44 and 45. Would you read these verses in unison with me? Jesus said, "'But I say unto you, "'Love your enemies, "'bless them that curse you, "'do good to them that hate you.'" And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So not only do we see a distorted morality, but Jesus, he points us to a divine model. And in verse 45 here, when it says that you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, Jesus is not teaching that this is how we become a child of God. And Jesus is teaching here, this is how we can become known as a child of God. And so the aim here is not to to be born again by doing these things. No, salvation is by faith uh, all the time, by grace, through faith, always. The aim here is not becoming a child of God, but becoming known as God's child by our imitation of his character. You know, we see it in the natural realm all the time. If I had Christopher up here, there'd be no mistaking who he belonged to. I I wish better for the boy. (laughs) I I pray for the boy. But I told him, I said, son, I said, I I know things are bleak. (laughs) But I said, the Lord allowed me to get your mama so there's hope for us all, right? He's like, that's true. That's true. Mama's really pretty. I'm like, yes, she is. Yes, she is. Oh, we could go back home and we can see people I haven't seen in 20 years. And I've had them come up and be like, I saw him and I figured Alan must be around somewhere. Because the boy just looks like me. And sadly, in a lot of ways, he acts like me, too. <laughs> It's true. We see it in the natural realm all the time. But you know the reality ought to carry into the spiritual realm. Boy, people ought to be able to look, take one look at us and conclude, boy, that's a child of God. Boy, I know who she belongs to. She is just like her father. That's what ought to be. You know, one of the defining characteristics of God is how he loves. We've been learning in our class on biblical masculinity how we as men are called to cultivate good in the places God places us, how we are called to care for uh, those God has placed us over, and we are called to combat the evil uh, that threatens that which God has called us to cultivate and care for. And you look at how God loves, how God seeks the highest good for humanity without expectation of return. And you look at the love of. God in scriptures, I don't think the love of God can be overstated. Now the love of God is often misstated and misrepresented, but I don't think it can be overstated. The Bible is clear that God is love. First John chapter four and verse number eight, the Bible clearly says, he that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? Read it with me. For God is love. What do we see in the verse? God does good to all. God doesn't exclude anyone from the blessing of his common grace. Whether you're a scumbag or you're a saint, God gives you sunshine. God gives you rain. Rain is not a burden here. Rain is a blessing. It's a refreshing. It is, it is part of what gives and brings and sustains life. And, and God doesn't look and say, well, you know, John had a pretty good week. And so I'm going to let it rain on his grass. But that Roger Morrow, fella, boy. Oh. And so it rains everywhere but the little circle around Roger's house. Is that how God works? No, whether you're a saint or a scumbag, God blesses you. God is good to you. God pours his love out on you. The Bible clearly teaches that that God loves, that that He, he doesn't exclude anyone from the blessings of his common grace. By the way, also, God doesn't prohibit anyone from receiving his redeeming love. Second Peter chapter 3, uh, yeah, verse number 9, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. And so God is not up in heaven saying, you know what? I like that Art Main's character. I'm picking him to go to heaven, but his dad, oh boy. Oh boy. I don't know if I can deal with that for all eternity. That's not how God works, is it? That's not how God works. God loves. Hey, Christ died for you when you were still a sinner. When you were still a rebel spitting in the face of God. He shed his red royal blood for you on the cross of Calvary. Why? Because he's good. And because he loves. He does good to all. He doesn't exclude anyone from the blessings of his common grace. He doesn't prohibit anyone from coming and receiving his redeeming love. Boy, aren't you glad that my actions didn't determine his response to me? You think about it. If my actions determined his response, I'd have gotten picked up and thrown away by a tornado a long time ago. And the tornado would have thrown me straight to hell where I deserve to be for all eternity. But praise God, my actions didn't determine his response to me. But hold up. Child of God reflector of his character. If we're grateful that our actions didn't determine his response to us, boy, maybe we should stop and think that as a child of God reflecting my father, other people's actions towards me don't get to determine my response to them. Amen. Yeah. Did you note the intensification of the actions in verse 44? 44. That we ought to bless them. Actively do good to them that curse us. Or, 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 or and then do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. In other words, the worse they are to us, the more we are to bless them. That's That's hard to do, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go to war pretty quick. But what we see... And verse 44, and what we see in the example of God. What do we see? These are right actions produced by a righteous heart. This is what happens when we follow the example of our Heavenly Father. You see, what you do to me doesn't get to have a greater impact on me than what God has done for me. When I stop and consider love. God's love for us cannot be overstated. But also, when I consider God's instructions to us, I don't think the importance of love that we ought to have for others can be overstated. In fact, the two greatest commandments we have as believers are both rooted and require love. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 36, what the great or greatest commandment was in all of the law, he gave this answer in verse 37 through 40. He said, this is the great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He said, this is the first and great commandment. He said, and the second is like unto it. Don't you love it? How the the man didn't ask for number two, but Jesus knew he needed number two. And so he gave it to him anyways. He said, the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, the Christian life really isn't that difficult. If we want to Please, God, and reflect his character. We need to love him and love others as he has loved us. Period. And here's what you're going to find. Boy, when you reject a distorted morality and you choose to live with a divine model, it's going to turn you into a different man. It's going to turn you into a different man. Look how Jesus concludes this. I'm going to move because I know you need to beat the Methodists to the buffet. Here we go. Verse 46. Jesus said, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Did not even the publicans the same? The publicans were tax collectors. They were thieves. They were traitors. They were bad dudes. They were basically the Israelite version of the mob. Um, yeah, long short so these were bad dudes verse 47 if ye salute your brethren only what do ye more than others do not even the publicans also oh but would you read verse 48 with me in unison Jesus said this be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect so what do we see we got to reject the distorted morality We've got to receive the divine model, and when we do, it'll turn us into a different man. Here's the thing. When God the Father is my model, it will make me into a different man or woman. Remember, we are all called to reflect his character. Hey, in Christ, we are a new creature. Amen? 2 Corinthians five seventeen: If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we are called to be different. I love how Jesus says it here, we're called to be different within. Verse 46, if we only love them uh, that that love us, uh, if inwardly we only feel love to those who feel love for us, Jesus said, I hate to break it to you, but you're just like the heathen. And there is no reward in that. There is no pleasing God in that. There's no being like God in that. Hey, church, Dads, it matters what goes on in us. You know, sometimes men, we in pride, we we pride ourselves on being stoic leaders. What do we do? We bury our hearts and we put on a show. But men, it matters what goes on inside of you. It matters the love that you have and who you have it for. Men, we can't afford to be ones who bury our hearts and put on a show because the reality is you can hide your heart from your wife and you can hide your heart from your husband and you can hide it from the kids and you can hide it from the pastor, but you can't hide it from God. And here's the thing, I don't always like what's in my heart. Can I make that confession? But I have a God who can change my heart. And so i got to acknowledge it, amen. i got to give it to Him, amen. And i got to let Him do His work. Called to be different. Different within. But being different within will lead us to being different without. You know, we, we have love not just for the people who are like us. Uh, and we, verse 47, if we salute our brother and only, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Well, what more do you do than others? Even, even the mobsters, even the scumbags, even the publicans do that. Here's the thing, the truth is what will come in us, what what is in us will come out of us. You know, I've used a sponge before, and I'll fill the sponge with water and I'll kind of flick it. I didn't bring a sponge today, I had a lot of things going on this morning. (laughs) But if I filled the sponge with water and I flicked it, you'd kind of be like, oh, that's funny in an uncomfortable sort of way, I don't want to get wet. Right? I mean, let's be honest. We laugh, but it's really kind of uncomfortable. Why is the preacher throwing water at people? What if I got a different sponge, though, and I filled it with motor oil? And then I started flicking. I, now we wouldn't be laughing anymore, would we? What, what if I got a different sponge and, and I filled it with vomit? And then I started flicking it. How, how would that go over? I mean, as long as it was in another section, maybe okay. Um, but if I walk towards you, I, I'm thinking the mood would change. Now, let me ask you a very simple question What determines what comes out of that sponge? What determines if when I flicked it, water comes out, motor oil comes out, vomit comes out? What, what determines what comes out? What you put in. Hold up now. Hold up now. If we desire divine love to come from us, then it must be that divine love must reign in us. I'm going to tell you, this world is full of nasty wickedness. But you know what the heart of God is? The heart of God is to seek and save that which was lost. You know why Jesus came? Jesus came to rescue those who were bound in nasty wickedness. You see, somehow uh, we we get saved and we get a little bit cleaned up and we get a little bit sanctified and we forget where we came from. Boy, it's really easy to feel a whole lot of hostility towards the nastiness in this world. But you better be sure don't turn into hatred of people because those are the people Jesus came to seek and to save. But you see, if I follow a divine model, it'll turn me into a different man. It'll make me different on the inside. It'll make me different on the outside. Because I am compelled to impact this world with the same love that God has impacted me with. And Jesus is urging us to make and keep God the Father as our model, our example, our pattern. He says, be perfect, be mature, be complete, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is Perfect. You know, there's a lot of things people, a lot of silly things people model their lives after. People model their lives after athletes. I've talked about it before. You know, we have kids who can't hit a layup who think they can shoot from half court. Why? Because <clears throat> they watch them jokers in the NBA do it. Steph Curry! I'm like, you can't hit a layup. Like, practice layups and free throws. Oh. <sighs> We have people who model their lives after athletes and actors and musicians. People who can't sing, singing like they're winning a Grammy or something. By the way, religious people do it too. You watch, I mean, when I was growing up, there were, there were certain preachers that the preacher boys would, would want to imitate, and some of them be like, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, ah. ha, ha. I mean, you got like 16-year-old boys hacking like they got 80-year-old lungs, and it's like, why do they do that? Because they are modeling themselves after a man. I mean, it's all over. I mean, you've, ladies, you've tried to make the cookies off of Pinterest and, and you've seen what people have posted on Instagram and the things that your neighbors have bought or done or whatever. And there's a lot of things that, that, that our lives get modeled after. And by the way, this is not necessarily bad or completely unavoidable. Like, the things we experience in life do influence us. But if this is the case, boy... We better make sure that we're following God first. He's our highest passion. He is our highest priority. Because if that's the case, we will grow towards maturity and completion. But if it's not the case, if we're not striving to be perfect, even as our Father which is in heaven is perfect, you know what we're going to do? We're going to end up back at point one with a distorted morality again. And start the cycle all over. But if we follow God just as God lacks nothing, we will lack nothing because a man or a woman who follows God this way will be undeniably different because we will be undeniably like our Father. Boy, I'm concluding musicians are coming. Church, think about this with me as we move to a time of invitation. Isn't it incredible that we can be more like God each day? That we can be more like Christ each day. Fathers, isn't it amazing that God gives us the opportunity to, 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 in our title of Father, be a reflection of Him? And I can be more like Him each day. He can increase, I can decrease. And that's a beautiful thing because you know what the world doesn't need more of? It doesn't need more celebrities. And it doesn't need more athletes. And it doesn't need more three-point shooters. And it doesn't need more millionaires. And it it doesn't need more uh, Pinterest and social media stars. It doesn't need any of that. The world needs more Jesus. The world needs to be able to look at you and be like, I know whose child that is. They need to be able to see Jesus in us. Hey, dads, what your family needs isn't more money, isn't bigger cars, isn't a bigger house, isn't a better vacation. You know what your family really needs? Your family needs to see more of Jesus. More of Jesus. What a privilege it is, dads, to share the title of father with the creator and redeemer of souls. Christian, what a privilege it is to bear the name of Christ. And to bear the image of Christ in this world. Hey, by God's grace and for God's glory, let's make it our mission. Like Father, like Son. Would you stand together this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed.